lost my phone on which my notes are. Fantastic. <laughs> We're off to a great start. This is crime culture in the meantime. I think we've slacked. I think we fucked it up. Yeah, there introducing the podcast. We haven't introduced the podcast in like six episodes. It's been 84 years. It's been. That too. <laughs> We're still here, just like Ben Affleck's Phoenix back tattoo. If you don't know what that is, count your blessings. What? Oh, absolutely. I know. Absolutely. I've, seen a, I've seen a photo of it. And didn't he say it was fake for a role? And then everyone was like, wait, he's still got that tattoo. I don't remember that, but that would not shock me. <laughs> I thought that's what the deal was. I don't know. I I would not be surprised. He's just he's just a simple guy from Boston. He doesn't know why. Is that your Boston accent? Him. Um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I hope this episode isn't set in Boston because oofa. No, it's not. It's 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 New York and California. The two accents that I got down. Okay. All right. Unlock. Well, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, you will. Close within one hour of when you <laughs> Am I listening to you where you're going to get dinner? <laughs> Apparently, yes. This is a train wreck already. <laughs> this is a mess. I um, to be fair, I'm not getting the dinner. Okay, good. Um, All right, perfect. So that's that's on Michael, my my man's sleeve. Um, good feminists. Am I right? Um, yeah. Uh, no, before today, we get started, just kidding. We get started. <laughs> We've had a bunch of people uh, sign up for our Secret Satan gift <gasps> exchange. Oh, yeah, that's still happening. It's like Secret Santa, but in the fall and better. So <laughs> if you would like to join and you haven't already, please do. The link is in all of our bios. Um, it's in our link tree. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook page. All that fun stuff. So join our Secret Satan gift exchange and we'll have some fun in October. Spooktober. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was just the announcement. Now, go. Okay. Now, Maneo. Get it? Go. Sal Maneo. Okay. I'm going to stop what? now. Yeah, I'm not well. Um, so, yeah. So, we're talking about Sal Maneo today, which if you're like, Haley, you don't know who he is, but you're about to. I might. You might be jogging my memory. I The name did not Just by immediately... saying his name? Yeah. No, the name did not immediately uh, sound familiar to me, but I may know the case. I don't fucking know. I probably don't. All Go right. Go for it. Well, does Salvatore Mineo Jr. jog your memory? No. All right. Well, he was born on January 10th, 1939. Two, cool. his, his dad was, or his, his dad and or his mom, like, or how do I put this? What? His mom possibly no. His father definitely yes. Coffin makers. They oh. made caskets. That's a fun job. That's what a, a fun what a place job. to grow up in having your parents do that. You they must have saved a fortune on beds. Oh Jesus. And with kids? Oh come on. You can't tell me that they wouldn't be like, "Yeah, let's get sleep in the coffin." My uh parents were friends with somebody who lived above a um I think I've I've talked about this before. They lived above a um funeral home. Oof. And they had a big Halloween party one year. That's awesome. So like that that's also like I can imagine the Halloween parties you have in a coffin making facility. Uh, I mean, maybe because they were also very, very Italian. Um, his father was fresh off the boat from Sicily, Salvatore Mineo Sr. And uh -huh. his mother, Josephine, was an Italian American. Um, she was a Neapolitan, as they call them. And her maiden name is Alvisi, and yes, I still can't pronounce that N double E with the little chica over the E name uh, word. But Better than any pronunciations I can come up with. Vandersloot. Exactly, Vandersloot. Um, hi, Seuss. Hi, Seuss's son. Um, but in New York, so some people say that he was born in Harlem. Some people say that he was born in the Bronx. Um, that's where he grew up. Some, okay. like, he's he was one of four kids he had two older brothers and a younger sister michael victor and sabrina all of whom fun fact were slash are also actors interesting all right so it was just a very creative family um however the regular lawrence brothers over here basically though who did i see somebody whether it was a tweet or something somebody wanted to know if joey lawrence was one of the jonas brothers and i almost <gasps> threw my phone out the window yeah i know Ye gasps I in 30 whoa <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so back on track. Friends and family often described Mineo, whose nickname was Junior, as you do when you are Sal Mineo, yep. Mineo Jr., um, as an easygoing extrovert who could always see the positive side of things and find humor in nearly any situation, which was a far cry from the roles that he would go on to play, which was like this humorless, vulnerable, lonely teenage boy who would like quickly turn violent when cornered. Mm, um, okay. However... The whole reason that Mineo got into acting was because he often found himself in trouble. According to biographers Marvin J. Wolf and Catherine Maid, hello, vroom vroom, I guess. Um, He often got into fights on the playground and was also allegedly a thief and a gang member as a child. I mean, uh, I'm Ah! sure we've talked about gangs before and I'm sure we'll talk more as they come up in different cases. But uh, it's terrible how the kids are kind of recruited and like brought up to be like groomed to be in these gangs. But he's also like nine. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, that's how it starts. We've all seen a Bronx tale, so I know it's not super far fetched. But like, I I don't know about that because because I say this also because um, according to John Seeger, who is the owner of Salmoneo's official website, www.salmoneo.com. He said that, quote, according to Sal's family, Mineo was never arrested. The entire juvenile delinquent angle was something made up for publicity, end quote, which makes sense given that that was the role that he played as a kid. He was yeah. the juvenile delinquent. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Mineo would often allegedly find himself in trouble. So his mom, when he was a kid, at the advice of a talent scout who discovered Mineo when he was playing sandlot baseball with his little sister and some of their friends. Um, She ended up enrolling him in the professional children's school in New York, where he took acting and dance lessons. So according to H. Paul Jeffers, who wrote the 2000 biography Salmoneo, His Life, Murder and Mystery, which has a 3.5 out of 5 on Goodreads, Mm. Mineo's friends and the boys of the neighborhood started, they, they did not like that he acted and that he danced and that he enjoyed it and that he was good at it. And yeah, and I think I think the what what was it called the the children's school or the acting school? Yes, the professional children's professional, school. Yeah, I think that, like some pretty famous people went there. Possibly, like um, I, be honest, I didn't look into that part. I'm vaguely thinking maybe um, uh, Donald Faison of uh, Scrubs went there, or he had friends that went there because I know he went to like like a fame type high school in. Uh, in New York. I don't know if that was the school that fame was based on. I'm not exactly sure, but I've definitely heard that, that name before. That could be possible. That could definitely be possible because no, LaGuardia High School in New York is the oh, one that was based yeah, on yeah, fame yeah. because that's where Aquafina and Ansel Elgort and Timothée Chalamet and I fucked up his name definitely and Lady Gaga went. Interesting. Okay. I know that, that one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the the school that he went to is definitely in the same vein. I've definitely heard of people that have gone to that school. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I had never heard of this school before. Okay. Um, But yeah, so... I don't know where I am here, Haley. You ruined me. Okay. Um, so they would call him... These boys would call him a sissy. Mm. And they'd bully him and make fun of him. Um, Which he... It, it caused him to get into fights at school. Not yeah. at school, but like, you know, like in the neighborhood. Um, they didn't want to be his friend. They they were all, they he had like, they all just like completely abandoned him. And they were just like, hey, no, you're a sissy now. And he was like, oh, you want to see what a sissy I am? I'm walking here. But um, so, yeah, the lessons paid off, though, because Mineo as a kid got a gig on a local TV program called The Ted Steele Show. And then in 1951, Mineo made his Broadway debut in Tennessee Williams's The Rose Tattoo, which starred Eli Wallach and Maureen Stapleton. And he got $65 a week to say the line, the goat is in the yard every night. Incredible. Right? I love it. The dream, really. I, I, I just, I... I have so many questions. Why was the goat in the yard? <laughs> was the goat We're really in the yard? We're going to have to see yard? the show then. I know. We need to bring it back. Somebody get Eli Wallach on the phone. I'm sure he remembers. 
Um, but yeah, so he then went on to appear for three years in the Tony Award winning 1951 musical The King and I. It premiered in <sighs> 1951 and it starred Yul Brynner and Gertrude Lawrence. And so first he was an understudy. And then after one of the original child actors left the show a year into its run, though I will say some stories were like, oh, yeah, the kid actually went on vacation and Mineo did his thing as like an understudy and did such a good job that they were just like, you can stay on vacation. Oh, permanently. Yeah. Don't know how true that is, but I was just like, damn. <laughs> but regardless, so he started playing one of the princes as a fully fledged cast member during this time. He logged about 900 performances. Wow. Right? I don't know what the child. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what the kid rules are now because I mean, then because I know now it's pretty strict. Like there's like five or six people that played uh, Billy Elliot. Um, Like there's like kid actors in like kid shows like Matilda and stuff like that. Uh, It's very regulated of how many hours they can work and everything. Like it's. I'm trying to remember what it was because I know that like a lot of big actors now did it too, like Ariana Grande, um, what's his name, uh, Nick Jonas, the kid that is on Gaten Matarazzo. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like, and they've talked about it because it is very regimented. Um, but yeah, uh, nine hundred performances in about two years. Wild. Three years, we'll call it. But he was an understudy for some of it, so he was mostly like waiting in the wings for that. Yeah, but that's so much fun, though. I would have loved to do Broadway as a kid. Right? I mean, I want to do Broadway now, but still. I know, kid, but I want to. I know. I know. We were we were failed as children. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So allegedly, though, speaking of failing children, um, as his star rose, Mineo kind of became aware that not everybody in Hollywood was super great and had his best interests in heart. Oh. And so he began carrying a really like realistic looking toy gun <gasps> to basically keep pedophiles in the industry from like potentially like oh, getting to him coming near my him. god okay never mind i don't want to i don't want to be a child actor <laughs> right like that's just so sad like so sad to me um oh that's terrifying but he kept going even with that um and then in 1955 at the age of 16, he made his big screen debut in the role for which he is best known, the vulnerable, sensitive, possibly queer John Plato Crawford in Rebel Without a Cause, which also ah. starred James Dean and Natalie Wood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know it, the movie has a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb, an 87% Google score, and a 92% tomato meter rating with an 88% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. With the critics' consensus being, quote, Rebel Without a Cause is a searing melodrama featuring keen insight into the 50s juvenile attitude and James Dean's cool, iconic performance, end quote. Well then. But you want to know what was even more cool and iconic? What? Sal fucking Mineo. He got an Academy Award nomination for his performance, making him at the time the youngest actor in history to be nominated. Whoa. Um, that's since been that's since been beaten, but yeah. And it basically shot him into superstardom and created a phenomenon called Mineo Mania. Mm-hmm. Mineo Mania. I love it. I think it's funny. What is that? What was that boy group? Oh, 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 oh. Because <laughs> it sounds oh. like it. Beatlemania. No, no. <laughs> It's from like the early 90s or like Hanson? No. I mean 90s. No, it sounds like Mineo, but it's not. Mm, bop, bop, no. Bop, it's it's got an Skip M. Skip it. I'll come back to it. I'll think of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Menudo. So, Menudo. <laughs> I forgot about Menudo. And isn't didn't a bunch of the Menudo boys go on to do great things individually? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that that's like a thing. Like, I know that if I look it up, it's just going to show me that really yummy, like, soup. But I'm pretty sure that they all, like, went on to be I people. I needed, to, well, I needed you know. to get that out because every time you said Mineo, I thought of Menudo. Menudo. Well, I think you should also know that, um, like, they were not from the 90s. <laughs> were they not? Like, no, Haley. They're, like, in their 40s and, like, 50s now. 
Wow. Does that sound like the 90s? (laughs) I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure that like, I want to say like Ricky Martin was in it. Like that age. So like late 70s, early 80s. We're getting way off track now. We're getting super <laughs> off track. People are yelling. Um, they're like, we don't care about menudo. Yes, they are delicious in both forms, but we don't care about menudo. But so, yeah, with his newfound success, Maneo bought his parents a mansion. Did he buy his parents a mansion? Oh, he was 16 by this point. So he, yes. did he, he had control of his money? I believe so. I mean, I didn't okay. read otherwise. He did I, it. I he did it, it for like, his parents, like to give back oh, okay. to his parents. Um, oh, okay. Because I cost, thought it was one of those like he bought us a house, but all of you, like they control his money. So yeah, no, this is this is no this is no Macaulay Culkin situation. Got it, um, got it. Got it. No, but I will say I got a little mad at this. I know it's like the fifties, but the mansion was three hundred thousand dollars, and I'm like, <gasps> shut the mansion. fuck up, right? And I didn't I didn't do any conversion rate because I wasn't quite sure of the year that he bought it. But needless to say, it's not three hundred thousand dollars now because even a yeah. house that was three hundred thousand dollars last year is now five hundred thousand. Thanks, heart housing market. Um, but yeah. So it actually, fun fact, was the former home of silent fil- film star Mary Pickford. And Ooh. it was in Mamarinek, you know, New York. Mamarinek. Mamarinek. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the other one. I, 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 I knew it and like it was one of those things where you just said it, but now that I see it, I don't know how to say it. Yep. Um, lots of consonants. But yeah, so that was cool. But then another like factor of Rebel Without a Cause was so with the obvious chemistry between Dean and Mineo's characters, like I said, like some people actually credit Mineo's performance as Plato as being the first like actively gay or queer character on film Mm -hmm. and like the movie keeps it kind of ambiguous like if anything like they kind of treat him like james dean and natalie wood's like son okay even like the way the dynamic is between the three teenage friends yeah but um then but then people also further their point by saying like look like there's clearly like a little bit of attraction and then spoiler alert what do they do they kill off plato the queer kid Mm -hmm. and then all that's left is the straight girl for the boy to choose. Um, But regardless, between that and then also the close friendship that quickly formed between Dean and Mineo on the set, plus Dean being an out bisexual, many people thought that the two were more than friends for at least a period of their relationship. Hmm. But Mineo always denied it, saying he wasn't even really aware of like how like sexuality basically worked Uh at the time that they that they were friends and that while he did love him and some might even have like depending on what sources you read some said that he loved him and some said that he was in love with him which as we all know means two very different things yeah um but regardless he allegedly told jeffers that biographer quote if i'd understood back then that a guy could be in love with another one it would have happened but i didn't come to that realization for a few more years and then it was too late for jimmy and me end quote Hmm. That same year, he also appeared in the crime movie Six Bridges to Cross, which starred Tony Curtis and Mm -hmm. has a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb and an 88% Google score, as well as the rom-com The Private War of Major Benson, which starred Charlton Heston and has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 94% Google score and a 44% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, damn. Like, he's he's going great. Until... Um, on yeah. September 30th, 1955, James Dean was tragically killed in a car accident at the age of 24. Mm. And so at that point, like he's having to deal with the loss of his friend and also this newfound stardom because as fucked up as it sounds, like his popularity and fan base went through the roof when that happened. Really? Yeah. Because they were just like, oh, well, now we've got Salmoneo. So like all of the James Dean fans were just like, they just kind of like moved over. Because, like, this movie was the was the pinnacle, like, teenage angst movie. Like, every teenager saw it and was like, they get me. Yeah. And and like, just just looking for for the for the Play-Doh to my whatever. Like, that's it it was like a Twilight. Yeah. Except not as like, you know, weird. Um, (laughs) But Mineo's popularity just 
it was really great, but he also began to struggle with this and with being typecast as the troubled pilot. I can't speak today, Haley. The troubled, violence-prone teenage characters. Mm. So the next year, he had a minor supporting part as Angel Obergon in Dean's next big film, the 1956 Western Giant, which would be, I believe, Dean's last film. Don't come for me on that. This isn't a James Dean episode. Um, But regardless, it has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, an 81% Google score, and a 93% tomato meter rating with an 87% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And the critics' consensus is, quote, Giant earns its imposing name with a towering narrative supported by striking cinematography, big ideas, and powerful work from a trio of legendary Hollywood leads, end quote. Hmm. So a very well-liked movie, and it's a great next step, um, at least for, for Mineo. So obviously, like, everybody's like, okay, cool, like, this is great. And then the fans got pissed because basically... The way the studio built the film was that, oh, it's a reunion. Dean and Mineo are back together. The two not only did not share the screen together once, oh, but Mineo had a lot smaller of a role than was advertised. And so everybody was really pissed and they felt duped. And they were like, hey, like we came for Mineo. And the studios were like, we know. That's why yeah. we said this. Yeah, there's definitely movies still today that come out like that that the the one person's on the poster and they're very very prominent and they're like not in the movie i will never forget i granted i only saw it once because that's as much as my little heart could take but this is the end i thought emma watson was gonna have a much bigger part than she actually did and i was like where the fuck is she and apparently also she was but she walked out which for for her own reasons and for good reasons but yeah i mean sometimes that's done for good like yeah. uh in psycho or just, in yeah. scream yeah like, the the big name actor is like listed first and is very very prominent and then they get mm-hmm. killed spoiler alert yeah they get killed <laughs> within the first like few minutes of the movie right so like that and that then, throws you you completely off but for a good reason yeah and then the studio is just like oh um we meant in order of appearance <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um, but yeah so from there, Mineo also appeared in the movie musical Rock Pretty Baby, which has a 7.10 out of, 7 out of 10 on IMDb. I'm not good. And starred as teen thug Angelo Gioa in the 1956 movie Crime in the Streets. And that role actually earned him nic- the nickname The Switchblade Kid. Ooh. Which, like, cool, but also, like, you can see very much that, like, he's becoming more and more typecast. Yeah. Um, and that movie has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb and an 88% Google score. And I know that I'm saying a lot of these and everybody's like, oh, well, where can I watch the movie? We have yet to get to a movie that is not you have to pay to rent it. So <laughs> you yeah. can watch all of these, but you got to you got to shell some coin. But yeah, so Mineo continued to work steadily throughout the rest of the 50s. Uh, he played the titular role of Dino Mineta in the 1957 film Dino, which has a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb and also had a small role in the 1957-56. I saw different dates from different equally credible sources. Um, biopic of boxer Rocky Graziano, Somebody Up There Likes Me, which was originally supposed to also star Dean. So it would have been like a third time that they worked together. Yeah. But he passed away before production started. So Paul Newman got tapped to portray Graziano instead, Mm. which ended up being like kind of a cool thing because Mineo said that he really like got to learn from him and that both of them were method actors. Yep. Um, So it like it it sucked, but it was kind of cool. And the movie seems to do really well. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, an 86% Google score and an 83% tomato meter rating with an 86% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So like a solid like B plus across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And furthermore, that same year, Mineo released a pop music album through Epic Records um he had multiple top 40 singles as a pop singer the first being start moving in my direction mm-hmm. <laughs> which stayed in Sauce the u.s it. top 40 right like um but it stayed in the top 40 for 13 weeks and then reached not number nine i almost said nine dollars that's that's a hashtag <laughs> my dudes 
And the second single was Lasting Love, which stayed on the charts for three weeks and reached number 27. And it was at this point in my research that 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 song that they always play in musicals and weddings and shit like that. It's not that song, but it's stuck in my head. And now it's stuck in your head, too. Yeah. Um, But that same year, again, Mineo also received an Emmy nomination for Best Single Performance by an Actor for the TV adaptation of Dino, Studio One in Hollywood, Dino. Okay. So he had a busy year. Yeah. Um, a A busy 50s, to be quite honest. But trying to break out of typecasting, Mineo then played a Native American in the 1958 film Tonka, which, but if you want to see it, has a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, an 85% Google score, and a 71% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, and you can rent that shit. And the titular character of Aladdin in TV's DuPont show of the month, and then his first, like, truly, like, I'm a big boy now role came in 1958 when he played the titular legendary but troubled jazz drummer and fellow Italian-American Gene Krupa in The Gene Krupa Story. That has an 8, oh nope, an 87% Google score and not an 8%, sorry. Um, A 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb and a 59% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Meanwhile, he's, he's like doing more like meaty roles Maneo Mania has not stopped. It's still going. Like they yeah, don't care I, that he is an adult now. Yeah, not- and it seems like all the all the like movies of the scores that you've given, like he doesn't sound like he's had a real flop yet. No, like, he hasn't. He's doing like, great. He hasn't yeah, even had a flop of- with his album. Yeah. Like he's he's doing the most. He did a yeah, movie musical. Seriously. Like he's 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 a Zach Efron. Yeah. Um but yeah, Maneo Mania is still like thriving to the point that in 1959, for example, I love this. I'm going to preface this. This is I this is not relevant to this story whatsoever, except for the fact that I personally think it's hilarious. So Bob Hope joked on his TV show. Quote, no school tomorrow, kids. It's Sal Maneo's birthday. All those in the Bronx can stay home, end quote. Do you know, do you know what fucking happened? Hmm. They did. There was a record number of absences in schools in the Bronx. It just fucking skyrocketed because everybody just like took off for Salmoneo's birthday. Oh my <laughs> God. Hope had to come out and be like, he had to like apologize for making that joke and then like urge kids that it was important for them to stay in school. <laughs> But, like, that's how devoted... It's like when all the girls wore purity rings when the Jonas Brothers were big because they wore purity rings. You know what I mean? Not that I would know anything about that. Not that that's in the back of my dresser. Um, But, yeah. So, he went on... Maneo went on to reunite with Newman when he played the militant Zionist radical named Dov Landau in the 1960 Otto Preminger drama Exodus, which chronicled the founding of the State of Israel in 1948. And that movie has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, an 80% Google score, a 65% tomato meter rating, and a 69% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And the performance earned Mineo a Golden Globe and a a Golden Laurel Award win. He won two. And then he got his second Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And according to Mineo, he really thought he was going to win it this time around. Uh, He later said, quote, The first time when I got a nomination for Rebel, I was very excited, but I knew I did not have a chance. I felt that at this point in my career, winning an Oscar would firmly establish respect for my acting ability, end quote. Mm. So unfortunately, the award went to Peter Ustinov for his performance in Spartacus. But one good thing that came out of Exodus, kind of, is that it was during the filming of this movie that Mineo met his longtime on and off girlfriend, his co-star Jill Hayworth, who at the time was 15 and he was Ooh. 21 which isn't super i mean we've heard worse it's not yeah. great it's not it's not good it's not it's not the worst but it's not the best yeah, she's not 18 yet yeah i don't like it <laughs> uh the two were even engaged for a bit in the mid 60s so she was probably like 18 ish 
Um, I could not find a date for when they got engaged, when they stopped being engaged. But like I said, they were on and off again. And then finally, like they parted ways romantically in the late 60s, but they remained close friends. Okay. Up until, spoiler alert, Mineo's death. Um, What? He dies? Um, On True Crime Podcast? No. Uh, yeah. So in 1962, Mineo then tried to get a part in David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. Ever hear of uh-huh. that? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a little indie flick. The director did not want to cast him because, as Mineo believed, of his performance in Exodus. Mineo uh-huh. later said, quote, I lost because I had appeared in a pro Jewish picture, played a sympathetic Jewish boy, and shot for, end quote, Middle Easterners. Cutting that shortly because Mineo used a word that's probably was fine then, but it is not cool now. Um, all right, all right. But yeah, so that same year, his star continued to fall after he took a supporting role in the underwhelming action movie Escape from Zarain, which has a 6 out of 10 on IMDb, an 84% Google score, and a 54% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And it stars his former King and I co-star, Yul Brynner. Um, then he was barely noticed in an all-star cast that included Harry Fonda, Henry Fonda, oh my bad, Henry Fonda, John Wayne, and Sean Connery in the World War II action movie The Longest Day. Mm-hmm. That has a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, an 86% Google score, and an 87% tomato meter rating with a 90% score audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. After that, he played a stalker and near rapist in the 1964 low-budget thriller who killed Teddy Bear? All right. Critics panned it for being too edgy and unwatchable and typecast him as a like creepy villain instead of a sensitive bad boy, which further diminished his fan base. And he later said, quote, I found myself on the weirdo list, end quote. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, funny now, but like, at the time, yeah, I get it. Uh, but the movie has a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, an 84% Google score, and a 69% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And of course, this is the one, if you want to judge it for yourself, you can watch it for free on Tubi. Oh, hell um, yeah. Apparently, I'm he just it. gave like a, a killer performance, but this was not the time to do that, like because it was a yeah. little too convincing and fucked up and creepy. Um, he later told a reporter, quote, it's a situation I've never been able to fathom. One minute, it seemed like I had more movie offers than I could handle. The next, no one wanted me, end quote. Yeah, man, that's how it works. Yep. And then with that comes an audit from the IRS. Oh, no. Which revealed Mineo was broke. Oof. So he was forced to sell several cars, his boat, and also the mansion he bought his parents. In New York, yeah. He finally got a bit of a break financially when he was cast in the minor role of Uriah in the 1965 biblical epic The Greatest Story Ever Told, which starred John Wayne, again, Uh Um, and which you can watch for free on Pluto TV. (laughs) We're just knocking it out of the park. Has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, an 84% Google score, and a 43% tomato meter rating with a 64% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And probably because everybody seems to love a good Jesus flick, that movie earned Mineo enough money that he was able to rent a nice home for himself in the Hollywood Hills, buy himself a couple of new cars, and have the parties that he always enjoyed throwing because, again, extrovert. You only need, like, one or two cars, people. The only way I was thinking, because, first of all, it's a couple, so it could be two cars. And I was like, okay, so maybe, like, a sedan for regular shit and then, like, a pickup for, like, moving shit. No, they want all of the luxury cars, million different cars. I just don't see I tried. Why I tried. Needed or necessary. Maybe 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 some of them went to other people. I don't know. I don't know. No. Yeah. Um being frugal was not his strong his strongest suit, but <laughs> regardless, he then went on to appear in a string of easily forgettable films throughout the rest of the 60s that I not all right. don't care to mention. Um so really so the the cause of all this prolonged difficulty in his career, yes, first it was that appearance in Exodus, but then in addition to that and experiencing the same difficulty that like every other child actor goes through trying to transition from like teen to adult roles. Yeah. 
Mineo was one of the first actors to be openly out as a bisexual man during a time when it was considered to be taboo to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Now, he never he didn't come out and say officially I'm I'm bisexual until a magazine interview in 1972. But also people would just be like, I think he's gay and he would do nothing to try to to try to change that. Like he, he did not care what people thought of him. So he just did what he always did and so he and he was bi a lot of his fans seemed to think that he was gay but the way one biographer put it that i thought was really interesting was he had his pick of girls in like the 50s yeah any and all girls like they all flocked to him and Mm -hmm. so then he just wanted to he wanted to be with guys for a while he was like okay i've been with girls i've i've I the grass is greener on the other side. I'm gonna go with boys now, and I mean I don't see any problem with that. It just seems like he's fluid. Yeah, well, and that's really what it was. Like he he frequented nightclubs. Again, he was very extroverted. He loved loud rock music. He loved socializing, and he also loved going to gay bars where he would often pick up patrons and take them yeah. home. Um, at one point, he dated Rock Hudson. Interesting. All right. All right. That went right over your head. We don't know who Rock Hudson is, do we? I, I've definitely heard the name of okay Rock, Rock Hudson. Hudson. Rock Hudson was like the hot guy way back in the fifties, but he also was the gay hot guy that nobody could know was gay, but was like gay, gay. All right, and he was he was a beautiful man. Look him up. Go for um, him. They that's one of the characters on that Hollywood. I think it's a Hollywood story with um, the Ryan Murphy Netflix show. Yeah, the gay character in that that like comes from like Midwest and is gonna make it as a star. That's based on Rock Hudson. Ah, uh, got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so some of Mineo's work even further reflected his openness about his sexuality. Um, that included he directed the stage drama End as a Man in 1965 and directed, produced, and starred in the 1969 critically acclaimed off Broadway production of Fortune and Men's Eyes which was all about power and sexuality in a prison and also starred a then unknown Don Johnson, father of Dakota Johnson, among yeah. other things. He's done stuff in his own right, but also yeah. he had a Fifty Shades of Grey baby. Um, but furthermore, Mineo dedicated the production to James Dean in the playbook. Aww. I know, I know. Like he said, like they just, they, they didn't have enough time. It's just, yeah. oh, it kills me. Um, however, when the play made it to New York, so especially gay critics loved this play. Uh-huh. Um, but when the play made it to New York after touring the country, New York Times critic Clive Barnes wrote of the brutal rape scenes and blatant sex- homosexual themes, quote, how far can you go? Or if you think is it is more pertinent, how far are we going? Sir or madam, I suggest that if this is the play you would like, you need a psychiatrist a lot more than you need a theater ticket. I am not sure what kind of reputation Mr. Mineo has. He is a minor Hollywood player, I believe. But I am perfectly certain what reputation Mr. Mineo deserves. I consider the changes Mr. Mineo has made in this play have been made in the interest of sexual titillation, chiefly of the sadomasochistic variety, rather than in the interest of drama, end quote. Hmm. And with that review, Mineo's career failed to go upward as he had hoped, which hurt and confused him deeply. He later said, quote, after I've been 18 years in the business, show business, and he doesn't know the name. And as for the reputation I've gotten from the play, I don't care. It's on that stage. And if you want me to identify me with it, okay." end quote, which Hmm. he makes a valid point. This dude's like, oh, I think I know who Salmoneo is. You don't know who Salmoneo is. Two time Oscar nominee Salmoneo, multiple time Emmy Award nominee and winner Salmoneo. how How are you being a critic of somebody and you don't know? the work of the person that you're exactly exactly to me that personally it seemed more like a like gay witch hunt that's what that's the vibe i got but that's just to me i was not in this guy's head so i don't know maybe he just truly did not like the play i'd hate for him to see equus if he's got issues with sexuality and plays and like i always i always felt like theater can be so much edgier than a lot of movies can because it is so i don't know it's like so of the moment it's so like that one audience is experiencing it and you don't really have to appeal to 
the huge masses because yeah. not everyone is going to see it. Like it just it feels like a like a smaller, more intimate setting that you can get away with a lot more uh, different themes than you can in movies yes. or TV or something like that. Yes, and he was admittedly pushing the envelope. He constantly was upping the ante with that rape scene, for example, seeing how far they could go, how much longer they could go. Yeah. But that's also theater. That's what yeah. theater does. They're constantly like, well, how can we push this? I was in a musical that was a play that the director kept going, just let's just add a song number here. Let's yeah. just add another number here. Let's just make it a musical. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's just that's that's how theater is. They're con it's constantly being workshopped. Yeah. But regardless, Mineo continued to have financial difficulties, so he turned to the silver screen in an effort to pay his bills and began working on TV movies, a Mission Impossible TV special, and making guest appearances on popular TV shows like Columbo and SWAT. He did try to get more film roles, but continued to have difficulty doing so. Uh, for example, in 1971, Mineo was cast as Dr. Milo in the film Escape from Planet of the Apes, which is a job he really only took because he needed the money. He wasn't like, I need to be in Planet of the Apes. You didn't even know it was him. He was completely unrecognizable because they just put him in as much ape yeah. makeup as they could, and you wouldn't know it was him. Um, and unfortunately, that was his final role in mm. movies. That was his final film. Yeah. So it has a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb, an 88% Google score, and a 77% tomato meter rating with a 53% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And the critics' consensus is, quote, one of the better Planet of the Apes sequels, Escape is more character-driven than the previous films, and more touching as a result, end quote. Which, like, that's one of the better sequels. That's not, like, the highest of praise. Yeah. But yeah, um, you can watch it on HBO Max or any streaming service that you pay for HBO through if you want to see it. Right. But look out for Dr. Milo Salmoneo. You won't be able, you won't know it's fucking him, which yeah, sucks. Right. So then in 1973, Mineo continued to struggle financially, professionally, and also personally. Um, one, another play that he directed called The Children's Mass Failed. And then he wanted to make a movie about drug trafficking t called The Wrong People. He wanted to direct and he wanted to film it on location in Morocco, but officials there. And then when he turned to Israel, officials in Israel, both of them refused to grant him permission because of it being about drugs. Yeah. So that failed. That never even got off the ground. And then that same year, his father got sick and passed away at the age of 59 and Maneo remained by his bedside and gave a eulogy at his funeral and just really took it hard. It was yeah. his dad. Um, the death of his father, though, later gave him an epiphany, as he later said, quote, being in the same room with him and looking at him, I realized that one day I would be in the same position as he facing death. Before it happens, I mean to do the things I want to do. I will not end up saying I wish I had, end quote. Hmm. So that kind of gave him the the it got it brought his appetite back. So then he ended up landing the role of a bisexual burglar named Vito in the San Francisco staging of the dark comedy blah, 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 <laughs> the dark comedy PS your cat is dead. Okay. Um, which it's it's a very funny play. Basically like there's this dude who's having like an internal crisis and Vito, the, the burglar, breaks in and the dude ties him up and it's like his girlfriend is, is leaving him. He's a failed writer, blah, blah, blah. And so he ties him up and is like, I bet this burglar's got some stories. I'm going to use uh -huh. his stories and keep him captive. And like oh the whole thing is like God. his cat dies. Like it's like a whole thing. It's a fucked up comedy, but it's a comedy. Um, yeah. And it was exactly what his career needed it had a great run in san francisco and was so well re well received that it was picked up to have another run in los angeles so for example theater critic bob kiggins wrote quote mineo all but steals the show with his outlandish and marvelously antic gestures his facial his facile facial contortions and his robust delivery end quote this caused in touch magazine to do a profile on him titled oh. Salmoneo, the eternal original, end quote. Wow. Yeah. So finally, like, it appeared that Mineo 
was finally going to get the comeback he had been hoping for and deserved. Yeah. So on February 12th, 1976, Maneo arrived early to rehearsals for P.S. Your Cat is Dead in L.A. because his dinner date had canceled on him at the last minute. So he was like, "Okay, well, then I'm just going to go there early. Mm -hmm. And one of his co-stars remembered that he was still in, quote, tremendous spirits, end quote, when the rehearsal ended after like nine ish, a little bit after nine. Yeah. At which point Mineo went straight home and was parking his blue Chevrolet Chevelle behind his apartment in West Hollywood when he was brutally stabbed in the alley. Oh, God. Just once. We'll get to that, too. One of the witnesses, a nine-year-old girl named Monica Merrim, said that she was sitting at her desk in her bedroom when she suddenly heard a man yelling, quote, Oh, no. Oh, my God. No. Help me, please. End quote. And then saw a pale white man running away. Security guard Stephen Gustafson said that he saw a white, possibly Italian or Mexican man with long brown or dark blonde hair jump into a yellow Toyota and flee the scene. Then another neighbor, Ron Evans, who was an acquaintance of Mineo's, he also heard the scream. So he and other people who hear this, they go running in the direction of the sound to the alley. But by the time they got to Mineo, he was nearly dead. Um, just pool of blood. Uh, one source that I read said something like 10 feet away. Like that's how far. Yeah. Um, so when Evan saw that it was Mineo, he just yelled, quote, Sal, my God, end quote. And then started, he turned him onto his back and started doing mouth to mouth resuscitation because Mineo couldn't breathe. Yeah. And another witness called an ambulance, but. By the time it arrived a few minutes later, Maneo was dead at the scene and pronounced dead at 9.55 p.m. Mm. Um, the cause of death was a single stab wound to the heart. Jeez. It just happened to hit him in the right spot in the heart that he just completely bled out within minutes. And yeah. he passed. He was 37 years old, wow. right at the cusp 37. of making a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. So with such little information to go on, the police searched for Maneo's killer for over a year with little to no leads. A tip line was established and detectives pursued leads as far away as Arizona, Nevada, Washington, New York, and Florida with zero success. At one point, John Lennon even offered up money as a reward to find Maneo's killer. Jeez. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing worked. It just seems, it, do, it does seem like so random. Right. And so because the killer hadn't taken Mineo's wallet, authorities were quick to rule out that robbery was a motive. Yeah. And at first they suspected that Mineo's sexual identity was the catalyst for his murder after a search of his home turned up gay porn and photos of nude men. And so they thought maybe it was a jealous lover or a sex worker scam. Like, you know, like you bring home or you try to bring home a sex worker and then they're like, this is a stick up. We've got our friend over here and our friend over here and blah, blah, blah. However, friends, this I loved. I loved this. Friends of Mineo's said that he really only had casual flings and that none of them required payment. <laughs> and I was like, wow, yes, all right. yes. Be like, our friend can get it. Um, I just I loved that that whole assertion. Like I had to throw that in there that none of them required yeah. payment. I was like, oh, you know, he was fucking Sal Mineo. And he was also a very handsome dude. Yeah, right? If he, um, if he was going to go out and find somebody, he didn't need to... Yeah. His, his, first, yeah. his first encounter with a man, allegedly even, was a fan came up to him and he realized that he was attracted to men and brought him back to his apartment. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this dude is not suffering. Trust me. Um, like, he, he didn't have money. He didn't have a lot of work, but he was always, like, surrounded by people. Yeah. So then the police theorized that it could have been his prison reform activism that put him in contact with a dangerous ex-con or that his, I'd just like to say here now, occasional drug use made him a terrible drug addict and they made he made enemies with a drug dealer. And people were like, no, he's not a drug addict. Like, you're a buffoon. Like, yeah, you can use drugs and not be a drug addict. It's all because in one interview, something, some interview, they said something to him like, do you believe in trying anything once? And he literally shut that shit down and was like, so clearly you're talking about drugs. (laughs) And he was just like, 
yeah, sure. Try anything once. Like, don't be stupid. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not a drug addict. I've tried things. Sure. Who hasn't? Like, that's basically yeah. like how he treated it. But just it, it's just they they were constantly going in not very flattering directions for leads. Yeah. And then eventually, like, the leads pretty much stopped there and the case started to go cold. But then in May 1977, Michigan authorities contacted the LAPD about a 21-year-old pizza delivery man named Lionel Ray Williams, saying he had been arrested for forging checks. He was in the process of serving a 10-month sentence. He would be out the following January. And allegedly, while incarcerated, Williams was bragging to anyone who would listen that he had killed Mineo. Huh. And a prison guard had overheard him telling another inmate and was like, I should maybe tell somebody just in case this is true. It could be not yeah. true. But at the same time, they don't know who killed this guy. Yeah. Um. So the L.A. police got a court order allowing them to bug Williams' cell. And then after hearing the alleged confession themselves, felt that they had enough to extradite him. And so the L.A. deputy D.A. Burton Katz got an indictment against Williams and had him extradited from Michigan to Los Angeles. And as soon as he arrived, Williams quickly just retracted his stories, denied any involvement, was like, no, I didn't. Of course. No, no. However, investigators also interviewed his wife, Teresa, Hmm. and she confirmed that on the night of Maneo's murder, her husband had come home covered in blood and confessed to her that he had stabbed someone. Later that night, while they were watching the news, a bulletin came on about Maneo being murdered at which point Williams recognized Mineo's picture and allegedly told his wife, quote, that's the dude I killed, end quote. Why is this, like, over-dinner conversation? Well, like, <laughs> some sources I read said that he was, like, on drugs, that he was, like, heavily, like, he was the drug addict, not Mineo. Yeah. Um, but so I think that that could have also been, too, that he was just in such a state. Okay. Like, but regardless, so Teresa also claimed that her husband had used in the murder a recently purchased $5.28 hunting knife, which he had previously used in a series of robberies. He was a career criminal. Okay. Um, then it was discovered that Williams hadn't just told his fellow inmates about the crime. So while in Los Angeles County Jail on an unrelated charge months before he was arrested in Michigan, Williams allegedly told an officer, quote, I want to talk to someone about the Mineo case, end quote. So then somebody spoke to him about the Mineo case, and he claimed that drug addicts had told him that they had been paid $1,500 to murder the actor because he had burned someone on a dope deal. Okay. Detectives were suspicious. They wondered if it was Williams trying to throw them off his trail, that he was the one that killed Mineo, but yep. because they had no evidence, they dropped it. Okay. He got he he went away. He got off scot free for that, and then he goes to Michigan, and now we're here. So between Teresa's testimony, Williams's criminal history, it just seemed like investigators had finally found the killer. However, there was a problem. Williams was a black man with an afro, which is decidedly not a match to the eyewitness accounts of a white, possibly Mexican dude yeah. with long brown slash blonde hair the scene yeah so upon digging into that further however in addition to williams was a light-skinned black man is he may he may still be alive i'm not sure um he at the time had relaxed his hair so that it was straight and long and had dyed it brown oh okay so it was like he, he it could somebody could have thought he was from far away running away running yeah maybe a, a white man okay so according to williams's former partner in crime 26 year old alwyn williams who was not related to lionel williams in any way um williams had killed Maneo, but he hadn't even known who he was the entire thing was just an attempted robbery to allegedly feed williams's drug habits okay and it went wrong um, L.A. Detective Dan Tankersley later expressed regrets to dismissing the idea of theft being the catalyst for the murder so quickly because all of his belongings were found on him. Yeah. Saying, quote, we might have solved the Mineo case a lot sooner, end quote. Hmm. So still, many people, including members of Mineo's own family, expressed doubt that Williams was telling the truth, that he did it, 
the first time that he wasn't just bragging. Yeah. And they felt the evidence wasn't sufficient and that he wasn't actually guilty of the murder, but yeah. Williams was still brought to trial. So during the trial, Deputy DA Michael Genelin called Alwyn to testify as part of a reduced sentence deal. And even though he was, first of all, I had to include this because what? Um, and you'll say the same thing. All right. He was in the process of serving a sentence for robbery and kidnapping. So what do you think he's going to wear? I don't know. Either a jumpsuit or a regular suit. But either way, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to court like yeah. just apart. He wore a U.S. Marine uniform to give his huh. statement. I know. I'm like, what huh. do you what? What? All right, then. Anyway, so he confirmed that Williams told him that he had killed a celebrity and that that celebrity was Salmoneo. And he said that Williams had had been driving around looking for somebody to rob, he said, when he saw Maneo getting out of his car. So he approached him with the knife. And when Maneo yelled out in surprise, Williams kind of like as a knee jerk, just stabbed him just once. Yeah. And then was in such shock that he fled the scene, forgetting to even take any of the valuables off him. Yeah. Um, however, Williams's court-appointed counsel, Mort Herman, got Alwyn to admit during cross-examination that he had lied about this testimony to police, saying, he said Williams used a, quote, pearl-handled knife, end quote, as the weapon, and a Lincoln Continental as a getaway car when he didn't own either of those. Hmm. So Alwyn explained that he made things up because, quote, I was hoping to get out of jail, end quote, as in details like that. Yeah. And But then he did admit that he would have lied again if it meant getting off the hook. Jeez. So Teresa was also not able to testify. Um, she had killed herself with a single shot to the head. Wow. Yeah. Um. Though police could not find the knife used in Maneo's murder, Teresa had suggested in previous discussions with them stores where her husband frequented that he could have purchased the murder murder weapon at. Um, And so at that point, investigators were able to find a knife like the one that Teresa had had described, not the same one, but basically like the same like brand and everything that she said it was like, oh, it's a five dollar twenty eight cent hunting knife. And they just went around and they found one. Um, the medical examiner had made a cast of Maneo's stab wound, and it was an exact match to the type of knife that authorities found based on the one that Teresa said that her husband had used. Yeah. So ultimately, the trial lasted about two and a half months before the jury found Williams guilty of second degree murder, but acquitted him of the attempted robbery charge. Hmm. And on March 16th, 1979, Judge Ronnie Lee Martin offered Williams a chance to speak at which point he said of Herbert, quote, he wasn't in my corner. I didn't want him, but you put him on me. I asked you to get rid of the man twice, but you didn't do it. I fault you for my going to the penitentiary, end quote. Hmm. Even still, Judge Martin, she just didn't care really about that and said, sentenced Williams to 51 years to life in prison, saying, quote, I don't think he's susceptible to rehabilitation considering his escalating conduct of committing more and more serious crimes with more and more violence, end quote. Mm. Even still, Williams was released on parole in 1990, but like I said, he was a career criminal. He found himself back in jail soon after, Mm. and it was just kind of a back and forth in and out of jail. But throughout, he has maintained that he did not kill Salmoneo. All right. So there have been, to get into the pop culture side of things a little bit, because we're wrapping up here, there have been a lot of books written about Maneo's life. There have been a lot of movies that Maneo has been in. But yes, we've talked about several. We have talked about umpteen. The dude had a really just a prolific career. Like, I, I just, it, it was just very impressive. Like, he was, he was an artist in his own right. And again, very handsome. Uh, <laughs> but he he, i want to say it was something like he did like 70 he did he acted in like 70 projects 60 something projects like he he did a fair amount and that's not including the theatrical projects that's just like tv and film yeah yeah um but regardless if you want to read more about him um there's those books that i've mentioned but then also the 2010 biography salmoneo a biography by michael greg michaud michaud hmm but it has a 3.77 out of 5 on Goodreads, so that's 
probably worth checking out. In 2002, P.S. Your Cat is Dead was adapted into a movie directed and starring, directed by and starring Steve Gutenberg. We love Steve love Gutenberg. It. it has a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 24% tomato meter rating, and a 36% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And in the end credits, Gutenberg dedicated the film to Mineo. Oh, I know. So, yeah. Uh, finally, James Franco also directed a 2011 film about Mineo's Last Day Alive, which is titled Sal and stars Val Lauren as Mineo. It has a 4.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 59% Google score, and a 50% tomato meter rating with a 43% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And like Who Killed Teddy Bear, you can watch it for free on Tubi if you can stomach supporting James Franco. And as for Mineo, he is buried near his brother Michael at Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York. Hmm. Yes. And that is the story of Sal Mineo. Well, damn. Well, damn. Yeah, I didn't know this one. I'm, I'm, I granted, did not know. Granted, my dad sat me through a lot of, he was my film education as a kid. So that could also be why. And I just grew up assuming that people knew these things. Um, But yeah, I just, I always, I always knew of Salmoneo. I never knew that he came to an end like that. Probably my father didn't mention that part. No, during Rebel Without a Cause. You, yeah. We all knew about James Dean because that shit was like... Plastered everywhere. Plastered everywhere, but also there's a lot of mystery behind it. One day we should do an episode on it because like the car was allegedly, I want to say like haunted or something. Like there's <gasps> some weird shit going on over there. Yeah. You got a Christine car? Kind of, yeah. Or like cursed or something. There was something going on. Like that car was causing fires, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. I think it was like one of his friends, like, uh, you're going to die in that car. Yeah. Like, like something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like very weird. And like the way things went down was weird. And it was very similar to Rebel Without a Cause's plot with the with the race. They did a right, chicky. Right. We'll, we'll save it for the episode. Yeah. we gotta Now we got to do one. <laughs> now we got to. Now we got to. But yeah, I just I. I, you know, this is, it's, it, they're all sad, but this one, it just like, he was so close. Yeah, he was, yeah, he to was just coming, coming back. back. And like, and I think with whole, Brendan Fraser's comeback too. <gasps> Don't like, even curse Brendan no, Fraser. No, I'm not like cursing that. Brendan Fraser. I would never, oh my God, no, no, no. But I'm saying, like, I think that just makes it hit harder right now. Yeah. But like, ugh. we were just talking about somebody today who needs to come back. Rick Moranis. He's coming back. No, Rick Moranis is coming back. His kids are grown. I know, but he needs to come back now. He's he's literally like you can't make an editor of a movie go faster. <laughs> he's he I is he's doing a new Honey I Shrunk the Kids with Josh Gad. Josh Gad plays the Rick Moranis character, and Rick Moranis is like his dad. All right, I'll like I'll yeah, I'm it. here for it. Yes, I'm here for it. And for those who don't know, fun fact: Rick Moranis was everywhere and then nowhere. His wife passed away from breast cancer. Yeah, and, and he, he raised his kids. He retired from acting to raise his kids. He did the occasional like um, stop voice He's the most acting stuff. Amazing. He was in. He him. was in Brother Bear and Brother Bear Two. <laughs> he yeah. played one of the moose, Rut or Took. I don't know which one, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, just actors that, that need to make comebacks. Actors but, um, making comebacks. We love to see it. Please don't we, die. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you go to all of those links, you can find our Secret Satan gift exchange uh, form to fill out if you would like to participate. Yes. Uh, we also have Patreon. Uh, I think we're, we're like... We put a fun video of Caitlin reacting to a jump scare of a movie on there. And it's, it's gotten the gears turning of like other fun stuff we can put on the Patreon. So yeah, those will you. drop in. Yes, those will drop in and be surprises uh, that are not advertised on the um, the rewards of different levels. But they're for all know. patrons. You can donate a dollar. Patrons. You can donate a million dollars. You can <gasps> donate whatever you want. You can donate Mary Pickford's mansion if you wish. Um, donate me stuff. <laughs> donate to Haley's um, uh, wedding registry. 
<laughs> oh god i'm not putting the registry on the patreon it's tacky as i'm hell. putting the registry on the patreon absolutely not i will put the registry on the patreon and in return you all can get behind the scenes videos of Haley's wedding <laughs> yeah. this is Haley trying to pee in her dress <laughs> This is going to be a is, great time. This is the late night Taco Bell post the ceremony. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. I'm going to Taco Bell after the You wedding. need to go to Taco Bell in your dress. You'll get you so much give, free shit. I was going to say, you think they give me free You will tacos? get so much free shit. They don't care right, at Taco right. Bell. No offense, but like they don't care enough to be like, oh, well, we really shouldn't. Well, you don't drink, so you're going to just drive me around after yeah. the wedding and then we'll I go am see. so stoked. We'll play. Let's see how many places give me free shit. Yeah. Forget the fact that her husband doesn't drink. No, this is mine. This is my wedding. <laughs> no, nah, he's going to be he's going to be lame. That he's going to be he's going to be asleep. No, he's going to be playing video games with Michael. <laughs> ah, probably. Yes. Anyway, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. CrimeCulturePod at gmail.com. I think that's everything. I think that's us. We're not on LinkedIn still. No, never Promise. will be. Uh-uh. And with that, we're going to see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.